May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast episode. Well, we're in series three now, I suppose. Yeah. Um, just had a great interview with uh, Brother Andrew DeBartolo, uh, and we're looking forward to sharing that with you. Before we do, uh, you got some sponsor type words? Yeah, we want to give a shout out again to uh, Upper Forty Studios with Tristan Folklorist. If you check him out on YouTube, I think he released another uh, single recently. I don't know if we announced that. He did a cover of the intro song to... Uh, uh, I forgot what it was, but Jack Carr actually gave him a shout out on Twitter. So mm. if you go to the Folklorist YouTube, check that out. Also, Resistance Coffee. For those of you who don't know, we, uh, my wife and I bought a coffee company. Get that dark roast, baby. Get that dark. You know what? If you like coffee, but you don't like the burnt, bitter taste of communism, then buy some Resistance yeah. Coffee. Or <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the, the weak, effeminate taste of McDonald's and Tim Horton's regular roasts. Exactly. <laughs> Resistancecoffee.com. And also, as always, Quartha Classical Christian School. Yeah. We just um, had a great week last week with History Day. And our mission is to tune hearts and train minds to the glory of Christ. And by God's grace, that is happening. If you want to, uh, we just actually opened registration for next year. Excellent. So if you've been thinking about it, if you want some more information, reach out. If you want to come by the school during the day and see what goes on there, you can talk to Principal Auger and get a tour. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, um, you can subscribe at dominionpress.ca. So we've got a couple articles. The podcast goes up there. And uh, we can keep in touch that way as well. Nice. So um, I thought we had a great conversation. We did. It seems like, you know, it's going to be hard to title this one because it seems like the last number of conversations we've had, we're just sort of having one long drawn out conversation. Yeah. Uh, touching on a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same topics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any, any thoughts uh, post interview? Um, I, again, I just think my perspective, I feel like I'm having more clarity personally that whatever, whatever opposition we face to the gospel, we actually need to lean into that Mm. and see that that as an opportunity for the gospel and to rejoice in the sufferings that we face and to, um, you know, rejoice that we are considered worthy for suffering and just to be prepared, you know, like even right now, Andrew talks about it, be resolved right now, what you're going to do, not, not with bravado, not with a false sense of strength, but by God's grace and with his help, you know, we will, we will stand for Christ and we will speak uh, in his name. All right. Well, that's a great exhortation and let's get over to the interview. These are the numbers of the divisions of the armed troops who came to David in Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. Welcome back, Andrew, to uh, the podcast. Always you great are, to be here. You're a friend of the Always podcast great. now. This is, this is maybe your... Now, not before, well, but now. I think I think I'm it's safe to podcast. say you've become more than an acquaintance of the podast. Yeah. Now okay. you're a friend of the podcast. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. It was great I seeing you a couple weeks back at the conference. Got to see you in the mm-hmm. flesh yes, here in it Peterborough. Was. 
Uh, we should we should get to your thoughts on on the conference. Did you enjoy yourself? I did. I, my I'd actually um, I was chatting with I think my wife about this when I got back. She asked me what were your thoughts on the conference, and I said something that you Alex said on your uh, podcast with Greg Hill, which was there wasn't anything that was like particularly earth shattering about some of the talks. It wasn't like I was sitting there thinking that's it. My whole paradigm has shifted now. I've been, I've been seeing this wrong the whole time. The most significant part of the conference was all the in-between stuff. Mm -hmm. It was quite literally the drive up (laughs) with, with Aaron and then, and then the drive back, but even just the in-between stuff, having a good conversation Mm. with Greg, having a good conversation with Mark George from thousand generations print company. Like it was all that stuff in between to flesh this out with brothers in real time. That's mm-hmm. that was, I think was, was the greatest blessing of the conference. I mean, it was well put together. The messages were great. I, I know Laban is waiting and I won't. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I'm not going to, don't go down I'm that not gonna, alleyway. I'm not going to give him an out. Yeah. Don't <laughs> go down that alleyway. Laban is waiting. It was good. It was really good. Well done. Nice. Well, thanks. Coffee uh, was oh, yeah, the coffee fantastic. Was delicious. So many great volunteers helping out, like from yeah. from morning till night. Um, yeah. Anyway, we've we've expressed our thanks to them, but uh, we're very thankful. But we just jumped right into it there without even introducing you. Uh, why don't you tell? I mean, the listeners know who you are. You're the bearer of bad news. But <laughs> tell us what is it you do here? What, is what, do, it what do you do? What I do is I I scour the sewers of Canada <laughs> like a, like like a, like a rat king. And I try to find all also of the turds. Also known as Parliament. Yeah. And I hold, out, I hold out all the turds for everyone to see. And I say, don't vote for this turd. This is not a good one to vote for. And then I throw it back in the pile. Yeah, okay. I guess, yeah, for any, quickly, for anyone who doesn't know who I am, uh, I'm Andrew DiBartolo, the Director of Operations for Liberty Coalition Canada. We represent Canadians legally who've been discriminated against. We have our own podcast kind of media analysis arm. We do political activism, social activism, political engagement, and kind of behind the scenes, it's been a joy to work with churches in Canada to unite them, rally them, help equip them however I can. I've had the privilege of pointing hundreds, several hundred Canadians to good churches Mm -hmm. over the last four years Mm -hmm. and help them pull their kids out of state schools, help them move to good cities where good churches are. You know, Mark, uh, Mark George, he called me up a while ago and said, because he listens to the, sh- the podcast religiously and because I've been pounding, start a business, be entrepreneurial, use your gifts, pull your kids out of Marxist indoctrination centers. He says that's in part why he decided to start Thousand Generations Print Company is because I just kept accosting him every episode over and over again, Mm -hmm. be faithful. And then he did. So it's great. So it's been a joy to be able to do that kind of work and see the fruit of that in our country. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, you're a friend of the podcast, of course. Mm -hmm. And this is like your most important. That is the crown jewel. (laughs) (laughs) The feather in the cap. That's the feather in the cap. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, what are we, uh, what are we talking about today, Al? Well, you wanted to broadly speaking. um, Don't put this on me. Well, we, we together collectively we share responsibility in this. That is what a beta would do. That a beta would a say, beta "I don't want to be responsible do. for this." Yeah, uh, off give air, it to the alpha. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will step up to the plate and own today's topic. 
Um, we wanted to talk about what time it is. And uh, speci- after we decided to kind of have a what, what, what time is it conversation about our culture, um, some recent news came out about proposed legislation uh, that could have fairly significant consequences on the church in Canada. And, and most importantly, what I want to drive home today through all of this, the thread that I want to be sown through all of this, is um, that the gospel and the purposes of Christ ultimately cannot be thwarted. And uh, the gospel, the word of God cannot actually be bound. It cannot be silenced. And scripture tells us this very plainly. And, um, you know, whatever whatever comes down the pipe, I think we need to be resolved more than ever to speak the truth. You know, last episode with Greg Hill, we, I expressed that I've been thinking through um, how do we get people's attention? You know, we, we, we all agree we need to preach the gospel. We all agree that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word. But I, I just, I have this sense, and maybe it's because I am a preacher, but that there, there are people who are not being preached to. Okay. And I've been, it's, I've been kind of wrestling with this personally, like, and thinking about the prophets and Jesus and even the disciples' ministry. And often there was something, it could have been, you know, signs and wonders. Um, it could have been a spectacle if you think of the prophets. You know, even John the Baptist, his whole life was somewhat of a spectacle that draw people to them to then hear the word. And I've been thinking about what we need to do. Well, persecution is also something that draws people. And this is true in scripture. And that this is this is true in the early church and throughout church history as well. It's when the church is persecuted. God actually uses it as a witness, and it's almost as though the, per- the Christian's faithfulness in the midst of persecution is what gets people attention in a time that before it didn't. And look, um, we'll, we'll go through some scripture. Jesus says this, so that you will be dragged before, um, uh, he says, dragged before governments and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles, <laughs> Matthew ten eighteen. And so, you know, I remember Aaron, Pastor Aaron Rock is the one who directed my attention to this for the first time um, during the uh, lockdowns. And this was in, in response to the criticism that, look, it's a bad witness of the church to get into, get into trouble with the magistrate. And his point was to go to this text and say, well, well, it may be if you do wrong, but Jesus actually says one of his missiological strategies is for Christians to get in trouble with the state. Yeah. So when they stand there before them, they can testify mm-hmm. on a platform that they never had before. And the, very obviously, this is what happened if you read through the book of Acts repeatedly mm-hmm. um, to the disciples. This happened to Paul on multiple yep. occasions. And and yeah. And- he was given a platform that he would not have had if he was not there under the pretense <laughs> of doing something wrong. Of right. course, he didn't. Well, Paul, Paul actually brought it upon himself. It's even more than that. It's not as if Paul was given the platform. It's Paul invoked yeah. his Roman citizenship. Yes, yes. Because it would have been over for yeah, Paul. Yeah. It would have been like, okay, sorry, let's if Paul didn't appeal to Caesar, yeah. they would have let him go and said, Oh, sorry, a Roman citizen. Yes. But Paul took advantage of his citizenship and yes. said, No, I want to appeal to Caesar so that he would put himself in the position to speak to the political leaders and the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, which that's something that is often neglected when we think about Paul that he no he he could have been out he could have been free mm-hmm. 
of he, the persecution, but he brought it on in order to have an audience with larger kind of with larger figures. Yeah, he didn't passively resign to fate. He didn't say at that moment, well, this is obviously the Lord's will for me, that he had a, a more comprehensive understanding of God's purposes and the scriptures, and he said, and, and, and knew that they validated his rights as a citizen, and that he was permitted to appeal to those rights, which he did, and God used. That's a great point. Um, so... I, I want us to see, um, I was just thinking in light of this episode that maybe the persecution that comes to Christians is the spectacle. And 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 Andrew and, uh, well, Jeremy, you know this too, like two brothers that we know, James and Tim, um, you know, they, James's church was a decent size before, but it's much bigger now. And Tim was uh, just, I'd never heard of Tim Stevens before, mm-hmm. not not that he's not a faithful pastor and a gifted man, he absolutely is, but he pastored a relatively small church in Calgary. And now I would say Tim is kind of one of the national pastors as far as, look, if if we're going to have five guys that I want to, I want people to listen to in Canada who are faithful to the Bible, who will give you sound pastoral advice on a variety of issues. I mean, t- Tim is like top three in my books. Mm-hmm. And where did this guy come from? Well, he came from a small church that he was just it faithful in. And through his faithfulness, he suffered because of his faithfulness. And now he's been given an inordinate amount of influence in Canada that he wouldn't have had otherwise. And his writing and um, his speaking has been used to really point people towards Christ and evangelistically too. I mean, I know of people who've been converted through his ministry. And so it's like, hey, maybe <laughs> maybe we've been looking for an evangelistic strategy and this is one coming down the pipe. Yeah. And it looks like say words that are now illegal. So yeah. with that, maybe Andrew, this came down, this is I just read about this in the last couple of days, but I had not heard of Bill C three sixty seven. Um, before, maybe you could explain. Have you looked into this? I didn't even ask you, but do you know a bit about this? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah we so, we so basically, <laughs> we figure, hopefully, uh, no. Uh, What's so this? The long and, yeah, the long and the short of it is, if you look at the Canadian Criminal Code, um, Section 318 and 319 of the Canadian C- Criminal Code has to do with hate speech mm-hmm. and engaging in hate propaganda, specifically, is 318. So when you read through the criminal code, well, so it's problematic because hate speech, hate propaganda is ultimately a Gnostic category. It's punishing thought crimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's there's no way to actually do that effectively, which is why the scriptures don't advocate for it. Mm -hmm. But when you when you work through this section of the criminal code, when you get to Section 319, Section 319 offers the punishments for people who either engage in hateful speech against a particular person or a people group. And then a little bit further on, it's hate speech that's look, that looks like anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. So in section 319, section 319, subsection 3, uh, 3B is anyone who engages in this hateful speech will be exempt from punishment if they can show that it's a deeply held belief that's grounded in a religious text. 
So they're right, that's balanced, the exception. They're balancing the rights supposedly protected in the charter. Yep. So the wording of it, this is the exact wording. No person shall be convicted of an offense under subsection two, which is hate speech. If in good faith, the person expressed or attempted to establish by an argument, an opinion on a religious subject mm -hmm. or an opinion based on a belief in a religious text. Yes. So if you say, listen, so, but what it looks like is this, uh, you're not a man, you're a woman. That's hateful. Well, I'm, that's not me. That's what the Bible says. Yes. Right. I'm appealing to scripture. Mm -hmm. This is my opinion. Well, then you, you are, you, you're not going to be convicted. You're not, there's, there's no offense there because you're appealing to a religious text. You're appealing to a religious belief. So that's section 319, 3, 319, 3B. Section 319, 31B is specifically about anti Semitism. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, if you engage in quote unquote anti Semitic speech, if it can be shown that it's a deeply held religious belief based on a religious text, that no offense will come to you. So this, that's the setup. Bill C 367 seeks to remove those two exceptions from offense. Section 319, 3B and 319.31b. Mm. So essentially, this is what it's going to look like. If I say, hold on, dude, you're, you're a man. You're not a woman. It doesn't matter what you cut off and what you sew on. God's made you a man, and this is who you are. And this isn't me. This is what the Bible says. Well, that's hate speech. You're, you're going to court. We're arresting you. You're, I'm suing you. And then if I say in court, well, I'm not expressing my personal beliefs. This is the long-standing belief of the Christian church is 2000 years old. If bill 367 passes, the judge will say, nah, uh, uh, you can no longer use your deeply held religious belief or your religious text mm. as justification. You're not yeah. exempt from punishment. Now you are, you're guilty of the offense. So that's yeah. what bill three bill C 367 seeks to do. Remove these ex exceptions or the exemptions from being found having committed the offense because of your religious beliefs and a religious text. So what you're telling me is we're going to start seeing a mountain of lawsuits against imams who preach anti-Semitic messages in their mosques. Is that what you're telling me? Is that, I'm telling is you that, that going to happen? Uh, no, it's only, it's, no, 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 the, 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 the false God worshipers in Islam will not find themselves on the receiving end. Yeah. Well, they're, of this. They're going to yeah, be fine. Yeah. Uh, for real, though, I, I find the whole category of hate speech to be ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would I would get rid of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you, you have to have protection against speech for that to work because we don't seem to have that anymore. Because we've mm -hmm. uh, as soon as you categorize something as hate speech, you've actually removed free speech altogether. Because mm -hmm. all you have to do is be in the majority and say what we consider you said is hateful. Right. There's no there's no objective standard of, no. of hate. Yeah, that, that, that'd be the whole category of hate crimes. Right. Right. The whole the whole category. Like if you if you murder an individual, yep. you shouldn't be penalized more heavily because you dislike the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. If you intended to murder them and you did so deliberately with intentionality, then you should be guilty of murder and put to death. Yeah. yeah. You shouldn't shouldn't be a greater punishment because you really hated the person. Mm -hmm. That's irrelevant. To the crime, I mean, so the category yeah. of hate crime is an is an Orwellian Gnostic category itself. Well, and, and we and people, a couple of things people need to keep in mind to say that we shouldn't have laws against it is not to say is not to condone it. 
Right. This is the fallacy that everyone believes. When you yep. say, I don't think we should punish um, hate speech. Yeah. You're not saying I agree with people what what yeah. you would categorize as hate I speech. I love anti-Semitism yeah, is not what that, I'm saying. That is not the point. Yeah. The point <laughs> is how do you categorize it? And the other thing yeah. is not everything that is sinful should be a crime. Right. So there's plenty of things that are sinful in the eyes of God, which we do not penalize. And there's a right. variety of reasons for that. One is it's impossible for fallible creatures to justly criminalize it using using god's standard of evidence yeah. you cannot you cannot see into a person's heart no right and and but now you sound like a theonomist who's using your brain which is not widely accepted in sorry evangelical about that. culture yeah sorry yeah. about that so the other that's that's the problem i'll stop there. using my brain i'll just be a regular theonomist yeah <laughs> as, as you were talking there andrew it struck me um there's a moral inversion that's taken place here. Mm-hmm. You see, not what what when the criminal code was subject to the limits. The high, see, the highest law in our land is, is our, in our land is the charter. In theory, that's not actually true in practice in the courts as they um, as it is exercised. But in theory, we have a charter of rights and freedoms, and all other laws are subject to that charter. Okay, and that charter is based on the rule of law and the supremacy of God. So when the criminal code says we are going to penalize, you know, supposed hate speech, except that which is in accordance with um, these principles, it is acknowledging that there is a standard of authority above the criminal code right? and the charter, but not just that. Explicitly, it's acknowledging that there are religious texts, right? Because... It's it's a it's it's a it's an authority issue. It's like, well, I did say something that could be categorized as hate, but because it's based on a text, you can't penalize it that way. What we've what would happen if you remove this defense clause in the criminal code is it functionally says that the that it is removing the Bible, any religious text, but including the Bible as a moral <laughs> authority. And what it is doing is saying that the laws of the land, as dictated by the people, no longer God and no longer a text, are the law. And this is, this is the definition of tyranny. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what you think about the government and if you think that they're involved in your life or not involved in your life. It is the state assuming the place of God to determine mm-hmm. what is right or wrong. Like that, it def- that just is the case. So one, I didn't think of that before, but that would be if this bill passes, which I have no idea the likelihood of, but if it did, that's just another example of the uh, state <clears throat> enshrining itself, yeah. formally speaking, into the place of God. And that's like... That's a that's a dark place. Mm-hmm. We've been functionally they've been doing this for a long time and you have most of our leaders see themselves this way, but when Canada begins to f- enshrine itself um legislatively in an idolatrous way, that's a whole new ball game. Well, this is this is what this is what Schaefer talked about in his book The Great Evangelical Disaster. It's right in the beginning he says that whenever you have a culture that frees itself of its Christian moorings and removes all of the boundaries and borders that hold it together and function, which is exactly what 
biblical principles and foundations do. Mm-hmm. Once a once a culture frees itself from these restrictions, it will inevitably plunge into free fall and chaos. But people can't live in chaos because it's unnerving, it's unsettling, it's dangerous. So what will happen, Schaefer says, is that a totalitarianism mm-hmm. will eventually rise up in its place to bring in order. Yes. And then the most haunting statement in his his assessment is, and the people will welcome it gladly. Yeah. Yes. They will they will love it because it gives them stability. And and this is the argument behind this bill. Do you want to live in a world where people are allowed to go and do violence with hate speech, where they're allowed to say whatever they want and microaggress and be violent and do harm with their words? Could you imagine that? Oh, no, that would be terrible. Right. So now we need to assume a jurisdiction that doesn't belong to us, Mm -hmm. i.e. thought crime and speech crime, and we'll put our control. Forget about God's law. That's going to hold that. That's gone. Now we need to hold it together in a way that brings peace to the society. And it's exactly what people want. That's the, that's the wild part. If the people are like, okay, yes, please. We want some of that. It sounds like the end of the book of judges, right? Every man did what was right in his own eyes. There's this chaos. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, is they're clamoring for a King because they weren't willing to obey God's law. Yeah. You know, well, this is where the, the, the term tyrant comes from, right? This is Ryland told me this, but basically that the Greeks, would literally appoint a tyrant to come in and establish order. And it was a, initially like a strong a, man. Yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. Like initially it was meant to be a temporary measure, <laughs> but it never ended up that way. Yeah. It was like, Hey, if you come in and take care of this, you know, we will give you these, this, this unique um, authority. And then it's just never given up. And those, th- they were literally tyrants. Like it wasn't a pejorative. Like that's, yeah. that was just a title for these guys. This is what happened in Germany. I and mean, people, how did Hitler rise to power? It's like, well, do you know what was going on in Germany? There was, it was an absolute dumpster fire as far as the collapse of the old stability structures. You think of economic collapse because of the penalties um, put in place after World War One, which was not mm-hmm. a wise move, like just practically speaking. It's not that they didn't deserve to be punished in some way, but... It, I mean, look what happened. This was not this was not good for Europe to mm. to put these kinds of penalties in place. Communism was at the door, and there were there were villages in Germany that went communist, and there was there was chaos, and um, it reached a point that someone like Hitler, uh, it's overstated that he was when you say he was democratically elected. I think that's overstated. There were definitely it was some shady strong arming. And illegal activity that took place as well. He was elected behind the veneer yeah. of a democratic process, yeah. so as to not, so as not to alert everyone. Yes, it was definitely what was actually going on. It was definitely an like he was an authoritarian dictator, absolutely. Um, but what I'm trying to point out is that this is often the response to chaos. That people actually look for a false god and savior, and it's the strong man. Yep. And Nietzsche talked about this and, you know, very like people have recognized that you do need order. And I think what Canadians need, we need to keep in mind is, um, well, one, we need to not get lull, we need to not get goaded into some kind of conflict that could be considered chaotic. Yeah. Because, um, like a revolution. Right, because a revolution is not only bad during the revolution. The response is Napoleon. 
That's another historical example. Napoleon came after the revolution. They they loved Napoleon. Napoleon was a total dictator. But you know what? That's better than absolute anarchy of blood in the streets. Yeah, heads rolling yeah, hundreds heads rolling. of times every day. Like, yeah, it's like, and arbitrarily, no yeah. law, total chaos. This guy comes in and cleans it up. Of course, that guy's the hero. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, you make an interesting point, Andrew, that we're kind of in the, it's almost like we're skipping the full chaos phase and they're trying to go the, 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 they're manufacturing the yeah. chaos. Like, oh, the disinformation, the misinformation, we need censorship. Oh, the hate speech, we need, yeah. you know, hate laws. It's like, well. Um, yeah, I. It, it makes a lot more sense when you look at the news and you, it just, it looks like somebody is intentionally breaking things. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the economic policies of the government make no sense. Or at the very least saying everything's broken or yeah. some combination of the two. But, but nobody. Right, so they're doing both. Nobody's as stupid with economics as our policies. I mean, some of the people are. They yeah. don't get it. But the policymakers know that printing money is a bad idea, but they're going to yeah. do it anyway, because if you break the economy, then you can, they can fix it. They can fix it. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's mm-hmm. the play I think. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And you don't need yeah. to believe in, in necessarily a, a cabal of backroom people no. planning this. This is human nature. Yep. Humans can sense mm-hmm. out an opportunity for control and power. They can sense out other people's authority. They can sniff it out mm-hmm. rather like it's yeah. not, it's intuitive. And I think uh, your point about the people clamoring for it, like the people want it, um, mm-hmm. th- like that we're there right now. Like people, like the amount of basic income now signs I see yeah. around our town, it's like people are ready mm-hmm. to just hand over the reins of their lives to the government. Oh yeah, in exchange for a paycheck and some porn and yeah. some video games. Yeah, because disor- disorder is so. It is so contrary to it. Disorder rightfully causes unease within us and it that that's that's by design right our bodies even our even our bodies on a cellular level function based on order and structure and boundaries and that's how families are supposed to function that's how churches and cities like you go to to a single cell to a country things have been made to function with order and structure and routine holding it together because this is the God who's created the universe, the God of order and not chaos. So humans rightfully have a disdain or a fear of disorder, not because we're irrational, but because there's something about disorder and chaos that is supposed to make us feel uneasy because we're not supposed to be comfortable with disorder. We're not supposed to be at home with chaos. That's not the world that God has made. That's what we've done. That's what our sin has done. That's what our right. issues have done. We've brought chaos where there was once order. Mm-hmm. So people do not like chaos and disorder, not just because they have OCD, but because there's something about it that cuts against who we are, even on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. So we'll do anything, anything possible except repent. to bring about peace <laughs> and order, except repent, yeah. <laughs> which ultimately brings the greatest peace. But anything, anything short term to bring peace and order to the chaos so that we don't have to deal with the thing that is so unsettling in our souls and that's what we'll run to. Well, and mm. and and seeking a savior apart from Christ is—it's like you said—it's a savior apart from repentance. It's it's like refusing to acknowledge to, that in some way you bear responsibility for the chaos. 
That's and, yeah. and and accepting Christ as Lord is accept accepting a Savior who did everything and you did nothing, and that's a humbling thing. It's like when Napoleon yeah. shows up and you start wearing his uniform, you kind of take the credit. You know what I mean? It's like I'm yeah. on his team. I'm one of the good guys. But in in the Christian gospel, there's one good guy. <laughs> there's the rest. It, everyone's bad, and the only people who get to join his team are people who kiss the ring. People who first say. Mm-hmm. I am bad. I am wrong. I'm on the wrong team. I'm not part of the right tribe. I'm part of the wrong tribe. We broke this place. Thank you for fixing it. And then you become a part of his family mm-hmm. through faith and repentance. But that's a mm-hmm. totally different impulse. Yeah. And and it, it makes him a completely different savior. Mm-hmm. So one of the implications of this, Andrew, is that um literally like just scriptures in the Bible could be considered hate speech and um, far less, you know, applying them and, and, and interpreting them and pontificating upon them kind of thing. If this comes to, if this actually is the case, um, you know, I actually think positively that this, that there would be an opportunity here for the church and the reason I think that is because this is this is the pattern of scripture, and a couple of scriptures I I sent you guys beforehand. But some things we need to keep in mind if this if this actually does come down the pipe, and if literally being a Christian and saying true things uh, becomes criminalized. One, the gospel is proclaimed proclaimed through words, and enemies of the gospel often attempt to censor speech. So this is not a new thing. And we see this in Acts chapter 4. Um, they call the disciples and charge them not to speak or teach um, to anyone in uh, this name, that is the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answer them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So the gospel is bearing fruit, and great miraculous signs and wonders are being done in the name of Jesus. And the authorities say, you need to stop talking. And the disciples say, look, we're not going to stop talking. And we see this in Acts chapter 5. They beat them and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And it says that they went to the temple and from house to house and did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So right from the get-go, this is not a new experience for the church that exists by the word of God and exists to proclaim the word of God, that those who are opposed to Christ oppose our words. Mm-hmm. So this is just another descent into um, pagan culture and... Um, what we need to see, though, practically, is not just that this has always happened, but that the Word of God actually can't be bound. So, did this work? Like, was this successful? Well, this is in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, and by the end of the book of Acts, the Word of God had spread throughout all the known world. Yeah. And so, clearly, these the attempt of man to censor God's Word is so futile. It's like standing in front of a tsunami and just raising your hand and, and uttering some you know, some some words to it. It's like you you cannot stop a tsunami with your hands and you cannot, you know, leash the word of God. And Paul even says explicitly when he thought about his imprisonment, um, 
remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So his preaching is what put him in prison. And he says, but the word of God is not bound. And in, in Philippians, he, he says that basically, you know, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord, but my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without mm-hmm. fear. So not only can you not leash God's word when you try, it just goes further. So they put him in prison to stop him from preaching, and it was because of his preaching, but all that happens is everyone hears about it and gets saved, and the people who were saved hear about it, and they keep preaching all the more boldly. Mm -hmm. And even in my lifetime, I noticed, like, just seeing brothers like Pastor Aaron and Pastor Jacob and Pastor Tim and um, uh, Pastor James, and, like, it it emboldened me. It emboldened us to go out and do our preaching in the park and, you know, to— even in our own personal lives. So all I'm trying to say is to take heart. If something like this does come down the pipe, we should rejoice. We should rejoice and we should celebrate for an, and we should look for an opportunity to be faithful. We should pray for an opportunity. If we are brought before, you know, if the police show up and arrest us for preaching or writing something, we should just see this as a God-ordained opportunity. This isn't an obstacle to gospel ministry. This is an opportunity for gospel ministry. So we need to get our head on um, right and view these things with a biblical, through a biblical lens. And and that's one of opportunity. I don't know what you think about that, Andrew, but I, def- I definitely see well, that. I was, I was thinking the, about this bill. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking about this, this bill and why— you know where we are in this this cultural moment in Canada, and those who will continue to be faithful and speak and suffer for it sh- should be encouraged. They, they should rejoice like the apostles did in Acts five that they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the name, and they should realize that it is their faithfulness to Christ that is bringing this about. But the one the one thought that I had. And I'm I, I, I'm not I, I have to flesh this out a little bit more in my mind. I'm not going to you know put the stake in the ground just yet. But what if this is from God to silence unfaithful cowards? Mm-hmm. Let me flesh that out a little bit. I've been thinking about the parable of the tenants. Sorry, the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, each is given a measure to be faithful. Now, there's debate over what the talents are. I'm of the persuasion that I think the talents represent the opportunities that the Lord has given us to be faithful in gospel proclamation. And I think that everyone's given different, a different set or measure of opportunities based on their gifting and ability, right? Someone who's might be a little more, who's a little more outspoken, well-spoken, public, loud, friendly person might have more opportunities to share the gospel than a much quiet, much more quiet introvert that doesn't have a platform. So we're all given different opportunities based on our abilities and our talents. And what we see is the one who's faithful with what they have will be given more, which is the story that Christians share. Once a Christian's faithful in proclaiming the gospel and doing the work of evangelism, they find, wow, it's like the Lord's just opening up more and more doors. It's like there's more people who are becoming available for me to actually share the gospel with. But for the person who's faithless with what they have or the Christian who's been – if you talk to a Christian who hasn't shared the gospel 
who hasn't engaged publicly with the good news and the word of God for a year, they would tell you, yeah, it feels like it's been forever. It feels like there's no opportunities. God, there's, I have no opportunities to share the gospel. It's like all those doors have been shut. So I've been thinking about the parable of the talents, thinking about this. And what, I mean, what if, what if the broader evangelical church has been so silent and so faithless with the word of God and with the gospel that God is saying, fine, I'm going to, I'm going to take it away from you. Uh, what you have, I'll take away. And the mm. way I'm going to take it away is I'm going to take it away through legislation. So you've been silent in your gospel proclamation. You've been cowardly in boldly proclaiming the word of God. You've hid it underneath. You've buried it. And what's your justification? I was scared. What would they do? It, it's terrifying. Fine. God says, fine. Then what you have, I'm going to take away. But what I'm going to take away from you is by this kind of legislation, which is now going to force you even more to have less opportunities. But to those who are faithful, no one's going to be dissuaded by this. Like those who've been faithful with the, the talents that God has given them are not going to say, "Uh oh, this is scary now. Is, it is this not like, is this not going to embolden us even more? Like when I look at this mm -hmm. legislation, it has the opposite effect. I'm not terrified. I'm like, okay, fine. Like, if God's going to give me opportunities, let's go. Whatever, mm -hmm. whatever he has, I'm not going to go look for persecution. But I've, I've just been thinking about that lately about this. And so we should be – I think we should be encouraged if we're faithful that God will say, fine, I'll give you more. Like with Paul, I'll give you more audiences. I'll give you more opportunities. Mm -hmm. Or with James, with Tim, like a lot of these men have had more opportunities. They've had more platforms to be able to – preach the truth of God's word and see people saved, get people baptized, see people sanctified because they were faithful. But those who were cowardly, who were silent, who buried it in the ground, what if God's saying to them, fine, this legislation, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take that one talent away from you. Mm -hmm. Now you won't have it. And then the people will actually, and it, it fits well in the parable that what will he do? He'll give it to one of the other ones who was faithful. Mm -hmm. Fine. This th this person now will be given that audience. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if that's what's happening right now. I wonder if that on on a yeah. spiritual level is what's going on in our country. Mm -hmm. I suppose I suppose that would <clears throat> line up too with how we've seen a lot of people move from these faithless churches to the faithful churches. Is almost like the the shepherd is handing over his sheep to sh to other shepherds that will do their job properly, right? Um, mm -hmm. Oh, you, you know, there because there are there are true believers in these apostate churches, but they have to come out. You have to come out from them, right? And so, but they've now come to many of the churches that have been faithful through this. Yeah, I think there's something there. Yeah, I I think so as well. Like, because the the principles that you articulated, that Jesus articulated, those are just truisms. You know, to to the one who has more will be given. Faithful with little, faithful with much. This is, this is just reality in the world that God's made. Um, it's interesting. Another angle on this is that this legislation is being proposed, I believe, by a block MP. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, for, I mean, for those who don't know, Quebec is a, is completely secular. It's a it's a black abyss yeah. as far as evangelical faith and. Um, and has been for multiple generations. generations. Uh, and it made me think, it, what's interesting about this legislation, the return to paganism, I'm trying to think the times in church history where it went from, 
I guess you would say that was the why the Reformation was needed. You know, where where you have the light of the gospel, and then it is, it is you know, kind of shrouded in darkness for some time, and then is set free. And I, I yeah, I would say that's true with the Catholic Church. And you saw certain lights, you know, Tyndale come along, and um, the Word of God being translated and, and unleashed basically in the pulpits and in writing. But it's an indictment, I think, on Canadians, on Christian Canadians, that we're just letting this happen. Like, how does mm-hmm. an elected official, we're not, this isn't the king doing this. Mm-hmm. This is someone who was voted into their position. Like, we still have control, so to speak, over who gets there. And the people who get there, like, they know that no Canadian cares that the scriptures will no longer serve as a moral basis for our lives and uh, or our laws. It's like, well, that's that's an indictment on the church because there's certainly a lot of Canadians mm-hmm. who don't believe that, mm-hmm. but they don't say anything, right? So that these clowns actually think that it doesn't matter. Now, he's coming from Quebec and, and probably not a lot of people in Quebec think that. It'll be interesting to see the response to this, though, from the um, other politicians, from the conservatives, uh, you know, like what, like there's professing Christians in the conservative party. Like, what, what yeah, are they, they going to say? They're not going to stand up and say, "Yeah, we need to support hate speech." Like, there's no way they're going to do that. Yeah. They'll, I don't know. They may raise enough of the fr- a f- the framing of it will make it difficult yeah. for them. It's yeah. going to be a, the, the way that this will be framed. And you already brought this up. Wait, so you're supportive of hate speech? Yeah, that's a very difficult. That's going to be a difficult thing to overcome, especially because, you know, within the conservative movement party, within parties like the PPC, there are people who, though they're freedom minded, still have a have a pretty strong disdain for biblical Christianity yeah. because it tells them that men can't have sex with men mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's not good to kill granny because she's old. So there's still a lot of disdain, and mm-hmm. he, even. You know, even that when you you know you'd mentioned the the hatred that they have as you were reading through those scriptures, Alex, the hatred they have for God's word. I think part of the reason why they hate it is because God's word, by design, is life giving, mm-hmm. and God's word by design um, has a salvific, peace, whole giving nature to it, which clearly those who are in darkness and who take their cue from the prince of darkness would despise, mm-hmm. right? God gives his word to give life, to bring mm-hmm. peace mm-hmm. when there's chaos to bring order. God gives his word and all the promises of God's word that it won't come back to him void, but mm-hmm. it'll accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. That God's word is fixed in the heavens, that God's word is a lamp and a light through it. And by it, we see we, all the, all these, the, the truths about God's word are hated by those who love the darkness rather than the light. No one wants yeah. n- no one wants a bright light shone in their eyes yeah, when they've been in a dark closet. John so chapter they hate three. It. Yeah. 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 Well, and we, we keep we've come back to this so many times on the pod, but it's like, oh, you don't like the idea of the Bible governing society, huh? Okay. Let's uh let's see how it looks like with you guys running society. Yep. In about ten mm-hmm. minutes, we've we we're a dystopian like it's it's actually insane. It's like you can't say a boy is a boy, and the people like 
Danielle Smith tries to protect children from being mutilated and she's attacked as an abuser. Like that that's the world we live in. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that these these freaks imagine that if they were subject to God's word it would be death, but they imagine that death is life. Yeah. You know, it's a what is it the proverb all who hate me love death. Yeah. Yeah. And Proverbs eight wisdom talking yeah. about itself. It just it's just so yeah. Yes. And we're seeing yeah. that moral divide become more and more clear. It's it's like and it's not just that we're saying, hey, this is a slippery slope to death. It's like literally these guys advocate for killing everyone. <laughs> and we advocate for saving people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Only they say that the saving people is death and they say that death is life. Like this week that freak stood up in parliament and said that maid has nothing to do with suicide. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it is suicide. Yeah. Now it has to do with suicide. It is <laughs> That's suicide. the definition of what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of the challenge and the encouragement, you know, so you're right that here's what's going on. And what we can't do is we can't now bury, can't bury our talents in the dirt. I don't think we can run to, human princes and chariots for salvation and, and for, and for peace and protection. That's foolish. So the, the encouragement to believers about the unsilenceable, unconquerable nature of God's word, it's encouraging, but that encouragement needs to be tempered with the exhortation, which is, are you ready to do what must be done knowing that it comes at a cost, but also knowing that God's word will not return empty, but will accomplish its purposes, right? And we see this heightened during the Reformation after, like during the Reformation and, and the, the, the post-Reformation, like the counter-Reformation, I think specifically about the way they handled people before they would burn them at the stake. So for the first part of the Reform or the counter-Reformation, when they would bring these men in, they would tie them to the stake and they would say to them, do you have any last words, right? What's, your, what's the last thing you'd like to say? And what these men would do is they would continue to expound on the glories of Christ and the good news of the gospel and the, the mm. majesty of our king. And people were getting saved. So what they did is eventually they stopped letting them speak. They would tie them to the stake and then slit their throat and then light them on fire. Because mm. the enemies of God saw the, the very power, even at one's death, in communicating the gospel was a was a trigger that brought about salvation in people. And so mm -hmm. that is, that is a picture. We need to be ready and we need to understand that God will accomplish his purposes, that his mm -hmm. word is powerful. It brings life. It, it raises the sinner out of death into spiritual life. It speaks to Kings. It holds them accountable. It brings, it brings flourishing and, and beauty and goodness and truth to the culture that's all true. We can we can be certain of that, but it might be the case that that will be accomplished through a very very difficult kind of suffering, and we can't let the weightiness of the suffering offset the wonderful fruit that will come from the proclamation of God's word. If we if we don't have that, in, if we if we if we don't make that trade off, if we're not ready to have one to get the other, then we will be like that servant that buries his talent. And the Lord says, fine, you, that this is, if this is you in perpetuity, afraid and unwilling to pay the cost that comes from proclaiming my word, then there will be consequences for that. And we, yeah. we, we just, 
We have to be encouraged, but it's 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 going to come at a cost, and we need to we need to be ready for that. In my heart, just resolved, mm-hmm. I am going to suffer for my obedience to Christ. It's a done. That's a that's a done deal in my soul. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. That now that that's settled, now I can do whatever He commands me to do. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, I'm ready for it. I just need to get that. We got to get over that hurdle. There's no there's no hope in Polyev getting voted in. Mm-hmm. There's no hope that the right political turn is going to pull this thing back. Mm-hmm. We're we're in the second half of all the minor prophets. We're past the if you repent, God might still yet be merciful. I think we're past all that. But that doesn't mean that the purposes of God have stopped, and it doesn't mean that he's not still building his kingdom, and it doesn't mean that he's not still saving his people. So we're just going to be set. I'm re- I, I got to be ready to suffer for the sake of Christ. He will do tremendous things through his word. I will not be that unfaithful servant. If we can be resolved to, to have that kind of mindset, then God, I mean, there, there's going to be incredible fruit. Mm-hmm. And by the grace of God, we're going to be able to hand off something very powerful to our kids and our grandkids so that when the collapse is final and the dust is settled, then they're going to be able to rebuild a truly beautiful Christian culture that we from heaven will rejoice that we had some part in it. Um, we should be ready for that. I th- um, one of the things I'm thinking is um, we know, we also need to not just be willing to suffer. And I say this recognizing that Peter made many great boasts, all of which he failed to live up to until he was um, humbled and forgiven. So with, with that in mind, <clears throat> we need to be willing to intentionally seek out um, opportunities that will get us into trouble. And by that, I don't mean um, unnecessarily stir the pot, but ministry is public. Go and make disciples. And we're used to gathering in buildings that are sheltered from taxes with people who largely affirm what we think. And um, this is good. I believe in gathering with God's people on the Lord's Day. I believe this is the practice of the church. Um, This is not the entirety of the mission of the church. And the, the... church ought to go, and the ministry of the gospel is a public ministry, as well as a private ministry. And one of my regrets to to, to, to draw this out is um, during the lockdowns, I've been, I mean, I've shared many times that I, I failed to understand the times that we lived in initially, my, my lack of theological understanding and lack of awareness of what was happening around me led me to be late to the game. But one of the other regrets I have that I have talked about as well is that when, even when we knew what time it was, you remember the second lockdown? So the first one, there was, I think, a you know, reopen Ontario churches, like 490 or something churches signed this thing. And mm-hmm. then I met you when we met at Jacob's house and there were, there are people we don't know about. Like I've heard since of churches stayed open. I've met brothers. Even he came to the conference who were low key. So I'm not trying to say there are another guys, just this better men than us, of course, but there were a lot less people in December of 2021 who were, who were saying we need to open and we need to whatever. Then there were like, I would say it was like 10% or less. Well, when when LCC had our Easter initiative for Easter of 2021, 
Okay. So e- Easter of 2021, we said, and this was during- Or December the, 2020, I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So Easter 2021 was some of the strictest lockdowns. Yes. Yep. Yes. And and LCC on our website, we did our, listen- um, Let's open for Easter. I remember let's that. Let's open Easter and, and put your name on our, our website yeah. and let people know where they can go worship. So we thought, I mean, of the 300, 400 or so churches that signed the Reopen Ontario Act, we'll get a, a bit, right? The final number, even after some churches put their name initially and pulled back, was 67 across the country that were willing to publicly say, we will worship Christ unmolested. Yeah. Come and get us. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I do, I, I still want to add here, um, I'm careful not to apply a standard, an extra biblical standard over people and their conscience. So the, the scriptures very plainly give us instances where not only is Paul and Peter standing up publicly, but then they're also escaping through walls and they're meeting yeah. discreetly. And it is perfectly permissible to meet discreetly. It's not an, it's not inherently disobedient and it might be the right thing to do, especially because as a pastor, you're thinking about the people. Right, you're thinking about your sheep and your flock. So, with that caveat in mind, I understand that. Um, we also need to think, though, in short term and long term. So, one of the things I think that if I think that if not even twenty, I think that if ten churches in Ontario, I think that if even five churches in Ontario were as public as Harvest Windsor and Trinity and Waterloo. Um, and if none of us, even even Harvest went underground for a bit there, if, if we actually never went underground, and I'm not saying it was the wrong decision, I think that could have changed the trajectory of everything. Because yeah. what ended up happening, what ended up happening, was the two like the couple guys who did stay open were targeted as uh, some renegades who aren't in line with the Christian community. Yeah. And what ends up happening is then the vax mandates come after that, and because people say, and literally this was told to me, I know it's wrong, I know they don't have the authority to do this, but it's a little thing to give up. We'll we'll still mm-hmm. gather, we'll still be obedient, blah blah blah. And it's like, dude. That's the point you have to fight. You have to fight at that step because if you surrender this step, the next one's going to suck. Like the next mm-hmm. one's going to be bigger and yeah. worse. And progressives don't stop. They don't stop. They Like it's give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Like mm-hmm. they, they want the whole thing. Yeah. They don't want just one little victory. Yeah. They want the whole thing. And, and that's we, because and this, progressives this, understand what, yeah. what the church has failed to understand, which is that God has made the world in such a way where we as human beings have been made to take dominion. They get yeah. that. We yeah. don't, the, 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 the broader evangelical church has forgotten that, but the progressives understand, no, 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 we are to take dominion, which means we are to exercise authority and we are to bring th- people under the rule of a God. It's just their God is Satan, yeah. but they get it. And we, we try to play nice with neutrality. Yeah, and I think this is kind of where I want to broaden it out yeah. and just talk about what time it is. Um, this and this is and this is for all of us, but this is especially for maybe Christians who uh, have been attending churches that have been capitulating on all this stuff or just remaining quiet. Like I think of all the people we used to read and admire ten mm-hmm. years ago, and it's like, where are they? Mm-hmm. Like those people need to repent and step up mm-hmm. uh, and. <clears throat> 
I, I mean, we need to know what time it is. It's not like we lost a couple little legislative things and things are going to go back to normal after the other party gets elected back in and things swing back the other way. Like, that's not where we're at anymore. No. We're literally killing people who want to die. They're, they're being murdered. Uh, they're committing suicide. Uh, we are still aborting babies at a, an industrial rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're now we're mutilating kids and separating from their parents. The 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 government is trying to take control over children, uh, separating them from the influence of their parents. Uh, what was that that freak show that came out? The psychopath talking about parents don't have rights. Parents yeah. have responsibilities. It's yeah. Like, so our job is to raise the kids for the government, basically. Yeah. yeah. It, like this is where we're at. All right. We didn't we didn't like make a you know, there wasn't some liberal uh, tax policy got put in place and it's going to get reversed when Harper comes back in. Like we're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. People need and this is people just need to wake up. Well, and that's and that's why I'm saying we need to prepare for the next time, because I realize that I look back and say, I wish I was public sooner. So we were I was public to some degree. But it, not as early as I wanted to be and to the degree that I think we ought to have been. Part of this is a shepherding thing. Like our church is in a way better place now, um, I think, to stand together in all of this. But let's say very practically, Bill C-367 comes down. Basically, anything that's not progressive, it's like Bali I've said the other day, What what is hate speech for Justin Trudeau? Any speech he hates. And it's true. It's like, that's what's going to be hate speech. Hate speech is whatever the progressives yeah. hate. And that's basically everything that resembles reality. So let's say that happens. What we need to do is not be shrewd and censor our podcasts and and build our infrastructure. What we need to do is make the signs bigger and start committing a whole lot of hate crimes. That's what Mm -hmm. we need to be doing. We need to wake up every morning and say, what kind of hate crime am I going to commit today? And and this is not- You're talking about hate speech crimes. Yeah, hate speech. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. yeah, hate speech. Because it's like, they call, when, when you hate the truth- all all truth is hate speech, right? Yep. The people hate the truth. And it's like, well, if that's true, then I'm going to go out today and make it my goal to to um, commit hate speech because I'm going to go tell the truth. And we need to actually see this as an opportunity for a platform for the gospel. And I don't mean in a rebellious sense. I don't mean in a, a vainglory sense. I don't mean any of that. And of course, we have to be aware of all of those terrible impulses. But Jesus and Paul and Peter and John and the prophets went to the place that they could be heard, and it was a place that they got in trouble. And the Christian church, if if we're going to have a faithful witness, we have to have the same kind of attitude. So I just feel like if this comes down, that we need to, I mean, I like what Liberty Coalition does in our Biblical Sexuality Sunday, like these kinds of initiatives need to happen, that we're not, we're not, you know, literally committing a hate crime and hate speech for the the sake of it alone, but we're going to actually say, look, we need to lean into this opportunity. Mm -hmm. I've been uh, thinking about with uh with, with the topic as well i've been thinking about alistair Begg uh, lately and obviously he's been he's been on a lot of people's minds yeah um about his uh encouraging the granny to uh to go to the trans wedding yes and so my i've been thinking about that and my my 
I think my my assessment on that whole situation is Alistair Begg represents a generation of Christian leaders who were waiting inside of the walls of the church for the cultural attack to come to the church. And then they respond from inside the church, but they had a lot of time to respond. So by that, I mean in the seventies when evangelical feminism was a thing, uh, you have Piper and Grudem in the recovering biblical manhood and womanhood. They can amass these articles written by various Christian leaders and they can mount an appropriate response to this one cultural attack because they have 10 years to do it. Yay. Mm -hmm. So then in the 80s, the inerrancy controversy comes up. Same thing, the Chicago statement, all the debates. But it's, again, Christians are inside the church. Here's the culture. Here's the cultural behemoth. We're still inside the church. Let's barricade the doors and speak against it. And then, yay, success. In the 90s, it was evangelicals and Catholics together. In the 2000s, you had the emerging church. And so this has been the pattern. You have pastors and theologians who remain inside the church, mm-hmm. safe inside the walls of their church. When the culture comes for the church, then they say it's time to mount a little bit of a defense. It subsides. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. The problem is the last 10 years has been a new culture, cultural behemoth every year. Mm-hmm. There's, there, you, we don't have 10 years to mount a defense. Mm-hmm. Every year it's a new thing. Now it's George Floyd. Now it's BLM. Now it's MLK 50. Now it's COVID. Now it's the, it's like every year. And so these men who all they've done is stay in the church waiting for the culture to come to them and then thinking, I have a lot of time to respond to this. These men are overwhelmed. They're fumbling all over the place. Piper's fumbling mm-hmm. with stuff, culture stuff. Beg is fumbling. Ligon Duncan, all these guys, the old guard of evangelicalism, why are they dropping ball after ball instead of someone like a Doug Wilson? Because what he's been doing is he's been engaging in the culture. He's been asking questions like Schaefer was or like Jay Gresham Machen. What's actually happening out there? Let me get out Mm. in that space. What's happening? Let me engage. Let me do public debates. Let like what's happening in the world. Let me get a read on where, where we've come from, where we're going, not only to prepare my people properly, but to know how to respond when it actually happens and not merely react and being caught off guard. And the last five years for us has highlighted the failure of men who have thought the opposite of what you're saying, Alex. If I just do my duty inside the church and only respond to the culture when it tries to come for the church, I'll be fine. But they're, they're not mm-hmm. fine. They're, and now we've mm-hmm. inherited that from them. And what we need to do is we need to do exactly what you're saying is we need to think, how can I, in the public spaces, in the culture – in the various political ways that is that's appropriate given my lot in life, how can I assess? How can I engage? Be aware of what's happening. Speak properly into what's going on, so that my people are prepared, and so that we're not caught off guard because we just don't have the time. This the 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 momentum of this this cultural behemoth is so is so much greater now than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago that we just don't have the time to sit back and wait for it to come to our doors. We need to Mm -hmm. get out there, assess, respond and deal with it before that happens. Otherwise we're going to see, like I I was listening to a podcast today and and the the person asserted that he's concerned. We're going to see a lot more of that, a lot Mm -hmm. more of faithful men historically 
with some really, really bad hot takes and really fumbling lots of balls. And then their people just don't know how to respond. And we can't, we can't be like that. We yeah. have to be much, much more proactive in our engagement. Mm-hmm. Men of Issachar. That's right. You got to be able to interpret this, the signs. Mm-hmm. Well, man, that's uh, it's great having you on. Always great. Had a little, oh, I had a little tear in my eye when you were, were speaking about ten minutes ago. That really, that's uh, uh, it's it's really sobering to hear about uh, you know what could possibly be happening and and what uh, what life is going to be like for us. But if uh, if and when that persecution comes, I look forward to going through it with you mm-hmm. and um, you know. A guy who can laugh in the midst of trouble, uh, and uh, man, I don't, I don't relish the thought, but uh, <laughs> God gives us comfort in those mm-hmm. in those things. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. another anyway, thing we- too—the laughing. I think just quickly, I think that's, um, I think it's good for us to put a big red clown nose on our enemies. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, I think that's a good thing for us to do, and 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 to point out you're you're a clown, right? You're 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 not a you're not a human. You're a cartoon character. And mm-hmm. what it does is it for our people and for us, it actually disarms them, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not – some might say it's because I'm maybe naive or not not taking stock seriously. But people often – like I mean, Jeremy, you've asked me this question. How can I be consuming all this news, all this media? How can I be in this world, in the sewer, in the, in the dirt, in the grime and not be a sad, depressed, overwhelmed, overanxious person? And part of the reason is because I look at the evil ghouls that are trying to, you know, move this this stuff along, and they're just they're just cartoon characters. They're just all a bunch of Doctor Evils, and they got big red noses on, and they're 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 a joke. They're a joke. They got they're a shark a with a freaking laser beam. Yeah, they're a caricature of some Bond villain. They're just a silly, goofy. I don't take them seriously, yeah. even if they're deeply evil and deeply sinister. I just yeah. laugh in their face because it's it's a big it, it is a big joke in a sense, and that helps me to be measured because I'm not I'm not looking at their threats and saying, "Ooh, I'm I'm scared." I mean, what, hmm. Scared of what? You're such a pathetic, effeminate, you know, blackface, pink wearing, moistly speaking, prime tyrant. You don't scare me. I'm not concerned <laughs> with you, right? I'm not I'm not shaking in my boots. Who are you? You're 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 a girly man. I'm not worried yeah. about what who, you're going to do. Who is do. this? Who is this yeah. man who defies the armies of the living God? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Laughing at clown? it keeps me balanced. And yeah, I think gives me good. boldness. I think gives us boldness to, to, to rightfully, and in, I think in a good way, mock our enemies. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll let that be the last word. We'll wrap up here. I'm going to leave us with something from uh, Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Dominion Podcast. Yeah, no, it's, thanks, guys. Thanks. We're uh, what a wild, what a wild, what a. Wild.